good to see everybody here. Uh, as you know, we're going through the series of uh, through Colossians, rooted deep, growing tall. And uh, over the past four weeks, the fifth week now, we're, we've started to really get digging deep and, and hit some hard subjects. And some of those were really uh, about uh, salvation, about Christ, the supremacy of Christ. Uh, we, we touched on quite a few different things, and this week we are going to talk, talk to you a little bit about um, some issues that are going on in the Colossian church, which has to do with philosophies of men. Have you ever known somebody that, that seemed to have been changed by God? Like, you, you know, you meet them, and, and they're just, they seem to be on fire for the Lord, and you're, and you're like, wow, you know, this guy's really, this guy or girl really loves God, and, and they seem to be on fire, but then all of a sudden, a little bit down the road, you stop seeing them at church. A little bit down the road, they kind of slowly start walking away. Sometimes they go fast. Sometimes they run away. But, but they, at one point in their life, they, they look at him like, man, this guy really, I wish I had the faith that this guy had. And then all of a sudden later on, they are completely ignored, ignoring church. They're ignoring God. They're not praying. They're not, they're not walking with the Lord. And then you go talk to them, and they have all these excuses. Sometimes it's work, sometimes it's legitimate work and different things take us away from church, but, but you know, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's, well, I, I'm just busy right now, or they tell you you're going, they're going to a different church, and since we're here on Sundays, you can't really verify that. And so you get all these different excuses. Sometimes these guys are filled with doubt, and they, and, they, and they get caught up in these doubts and doubtfulness, of, or, or they don't believe in Scripture anymore, or they say that, and then they walk away. Perhaps you know somebody that's been a, a Christian and, and was seeking to learn more about God, and then all of a sudden somebody comes along and they started to teach them some false doctrine. This is what I experienced when I lived in Salt Lake City and, and in Idaho. What was common is I'd be witnessing to a, a, Mormon, a young Mormon, and they would be sitting there, and they, uh, they would see the Scripture. they go, wow, you know what, I really believe this. And, and I'm working with them. Then all of a sudden, the, the pastor of their church would come and pull them away. I start telling them that I'm teaching false doctrine, things like that. And it happens a lot. You'd be surprised at how often it happens. I mean, this is not Mormon territory very much. So in our culture here in the East Coast, what we experience is, is uh, you know, just they go, they're going to church and things are going well. They're learning. And then all of a sudden their friends say, man, you can't drink anymore. And they start pulling away. Or they get some pressure from outside. They get taught different things. Or even parents, some non-Christian parents, will, will talk them out of going to church. Perhaps you know somebody in the Scriptures, uh, someone that was l- listening to the Scriptures, and, even, and you did a great job explaining the Scriptures. So you're, you, you meet them, they don't know anything about God, and you start explaining it to them, and they don't listen. And you do a great job at explaining it, but they're just, it falls on deaf ears. See, the issue for many people is they want Scripture to fit what they already believe. Let me say that again to you. The issue is that many people want Scripture to fit what they already believe. See, they already have these ideas of the way the world is. They already have these ideas and these philosophies in their mind. And so they, and they want to take Scripture and they want to mold it to themselves. They have these ideas that they learn from work, from school, from college, from friends, from television. Television's a big one. Movies. Our, our, our leaders in the community. The politicians. I know we don't really believe politicians too much, but sometimes that will influence people. You know, when they become a Christian, God can, has to undo everything they unpack. They have to, God has to unpack all of that stuff. 
Because we're filled with all this information before we even get to the point where we walk with Christ. And sadly, some people have great difficulty understanding and accepting Scripture. They have great difficulty accepting what God says because it doesn't fit their, their view. Others will simply never accept Scripture as the inerrant Word of God. They will just never do it. And it breaks my heart to see that, that people will be so caught up in the worldly wisdom that they won't even take a, a second to look at what God says. Scripture clearly, clearly teaches that all who have a relationship with God is set free. As followers of Christ, we're set free from the, sa- the slavery of sin. We're set free. through, And it says all through Scripture, even Jesus said that we're set free. We're not the same. When we accept Jesus Christ, something happens in our life, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, that thing called sanctification, where, where God and the Holy Spirit comes in us and we're actually changed toward Christ-likeness. We actually can be holy people. So this happens, and those who are in Christ are new creations and old fall away. And pass away and all things come new. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. However, Scripture also says, that it is entirely possible for a Christian to gain control under the yoke of slavery again. It is true that a Christian, a faithful, Jesus-loving Christian, can fall under the yoke of slavery. Look at Romans 6, chapter, 16, or chapter 6, verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either sin which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. And this is talking to Christians, the Christian church. As a Christian, a Christian can be enslaved in some sin and addiction um, as long as they continually obey the urges it provides. So that's why we have Christian alcoholics. That's why we have Christians that are suffering. They are, they love the Lord, but man, they're suffering because they keep feeding that urge. They keep falling into the sin. They become enslaved to the sin in their life. A person can even be enslaved, for example, a big one that people get enslaved for is money. People will do all kinds of things for money. Just ask the police officers in our room. They'll do all kinds of crazy stuff for money. They will rob, steal, prostitute, do all kinds of stuff for money. And they're enslaved to money. They want money. And they do these things. Now, that's pretty extreme right there, but what about us common folks that don't go into lying and cheating and stealing and robbing and doing, selling drugs and all that? What about us? We can be enslaved to money, too, by working 80 hours a week and having no time for family. That can enslave us. How about if we lie and cheat in our taxes? What if we fudge the numbers a little bit? Hey, who's going to know? The IRS won't tell on that one. You know, when I have, a, I have an office in my house, I'll, I'll make my you know, office 10,000 square feet instead of 200 square feet. You know, with those little fudging, you can be slave to sin because of those little lies that you do. And, you're, and all because you want a little extra dollar on your taxes. What about bad business deals? You know that buying this house or buying this car, you're, you're buying it for $200, but you know it's really worth about five grand. And you're taking advantage of somebody. Maybe that somebody is desperate. Those are all unethical things. And those are things that we do because we want our money. We hold on to it. And we're enslaved by it. Matthew 6.24 says, No one can serve two masters. 
Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Some hoard their money. They hold on to it tight. Oh, I'm not going to spend anything. I'm not going to tithe. I'm not going to do anything. I will not give. Did you know that only 3 to 5% of the Christian church tithes 10%? 3 to 5%. Did you know that the, Christian, the body of Christ in America um, earns, if you look at all the Christians in America and you look at the average um, salaries and look at that, we actually earn about half of Americans' income? It's like $20 billion or trillion, but yet we only give 3 to 5%. That's, we can get captured by that sin because we want. We want money. We want to be able to spend it on, on toys and fun things. A believer can become a POW, a prisoner of war. And there are many prisoner of wars in the church, in the body of Christ. There's people that are prisoners or POWs in the church because they're slaves to lust. They're slaves to depression. They're slaves to anger. They're slaves to greed. However, the primary doctrine or the primary thing that Paul's talking about and what we're going to pull apart today in the verses, we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. And as we pull that apart, we're going to see that Paul's actually talking about a false doctrine. That's what he's talking about in the verses that we are looking at. Because and what we're going to look at is that, that people are getting pulled away with false doctrines of the way we're supposed to be what, what society has said um, that we should be like is crept into the church and we're no longer following Christ. So the very issue that we're facing as the body of Christ, Paul addresses in these verses. So open your Bibles up to chapter 2, verses 6 through 15, and it'll be up on the screen as we read through. And now, just as you, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down deep into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body so the so you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head of every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you, are, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because of the trust, because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins, and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive in Christ, for he forgave you all of our sins. He concealed the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them at the cross. Let's pray. Father God, as we open your, open your word and we see this and we see what you've done and we, we talk about these empty philosophies and we also talk about, Lord, what you'd have us do in response to that. Father God, open our hearts and our minds to you and we ask you to have the Holy Spirit here today filling our hearts and guiding us and teaching us what you'd have us learn. If that means that we need to be convicted of something in our life, Father God, open that up to us. Open our hearts 
to your word and your will, not ours and not man's. Father God, thank you so much for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul warns the, uh, the Colossians not to be taken up by false teachings that was attacking his church. See, these people were, they were, these teachings were hollow and deceptive. There was things that they were teaching that were just pointless, and they, and they had nothing to do with Jesus. And so Paul, as you remember, over, as we started unpacking these chapters, and chapter 1 especially, we, he talked about these things, about the supremacy of Christ. And then last week we talked about how important it is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and, and who Jesus was, and this message of reconciliation. So now there's a shift. Now he's saying, okay, look, you, we have already established who Jesus is. Now we established what he did on this cross and what this message of reconciliation is. But now I'm addressing some important issues. And this is that the philosophies that you're being taught are empty and deceitful and you shouldn't follow them. And he gets into some clear information here. He calls it the philosophy based on human tradition and the basic principle of this world. And then we're going to look at human philosophy and its aspects and how it can enslave the believer. This is not for just the non-Christian. It can enslave them, but a lot of times they don't understand. They don't know the things of God until they have a relationship with Jesus. So this is for you. As if you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you because that's who Paul's talking to. So what does it mean when Paul talks about this philosophy? What's he teaching? What, do you, what is this word talking about? Now, the, the word philosophy itself is a love for wisdom. And, it's, and, it, and the word itself is not necessarily bad. It's just a love for wisdom. It's just this desire to ask important questions like, where, you know, where did life come from? That's a philosophical question. There's nothing wrong with that in itself. You know, why, how did we get here? What the purpose of life is? These are all philosophies. And we can learn some good things from that. There's different rules in philosophy. When you, if you take philosophy in school, there's rules involved, like the law of non-contradiction, which means that if two things are contrary, or they're completely contradictory, they can't both be true. That's a good principle. That is a true principle. So pr philosophy in itself is not necessarily bad. But the problem with philosophy is when it tries to answer these questions apart from God. When it tries to answer these questions with no scripture involved and we try to answer these questions based on human wisdom and manly wisdom instead of scripture and what god says see philosophy alone is simply man's wisdom and paul says in first corinthians he said that because of man's wisdom many were kept from coming from god or coming to god so many people were kept from coming to god because of this worldly wisdom that's going around he said that the Greeks pursued uh, a secular wisdom because, uh, and because of that, the gospel itself was foolishness to them. See, that's why Paul talks about later, he says, you know, uh, Scripture, the gospel of Jesus Christ is foolishness to those who are perishing. Have you ever heard that verse? That's what he's talking about, because the Greeks were, thought it was just foolish and ridiculous that Jesus died on the cross and that he was God. Many Gentiles would not accept Christ because they didn't fit into their secular understanding of the world. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't accept them because of, of the, they said, you know what? Yeah, that may sound great, but that doesn't fit what I already believe. And so I'm going to reject that. Does that sound familiar? Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 19-23. It'll be up on the screen. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? 
God has made the, made the wisdom of the world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw that, saw it, that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. It is foolish for the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. See, that the gospel is a foolishness to those who are perishing. It doesn't fit into their worldview. And let me, let me say one thing. Everybody has a worldview. Everybody has a worldview. You have a, you have a worldview on psychology. You have a worldview on law. You have a worldview on, on history. You have a worldview on society. You have opinions, and a worldview is just how you view the world based on your experiences and knowledge. Everybody has a worldview. Is that worldview biblical, or is it secular? Part of the Greek philosophy is that that was affecting the Colossians was the belief that the body was evil, but the spirit was good. Okay, this is one of the things that they were teaching, that the body was evil and the spirit was good. And so they would take new things, they would starve themselves, they would cut themselves, they would uh, beat up on themselves, they would hurt themselves, they would do all these things because they thought the flesh in itself was evil. They would deny themselves things. And, they would, and others would say that you had this other group that would say, no, 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 you know, everything is good. That's all acceptable. And those people would go into um, a, this view where there is no law and that all things are acceptable. So you have these two extremes. And we actually get this in the church today. You have the one extreme that's very legalistic and think, you know, we've got to be hardcore on the rules. You can't do this. You can't do that. And you have this long list of rules. You have constitutions and bylaws that are this thick. Because there's all these rules and you can't do it. And then you have the others that say, you know what? Everything's acceptable. And there is no law and you can do anything you want. And that's what Paul is dealing with. That's what the Colossians were dealing with. See, the Gnostics believe that, in, that there's a need for knowledge in order to be saved and, is, and in order to understand Christ. There was more. And there was this added thing that needed to happen. Some added scripture. See, they would say that, that how could Jesus be God if he's human? See, they would have this effect on how they viewed Jesus because of these teachings. Therefore, they came up with many additions to Scripture and many philosophies, and they had this secret knowledge that they, that they claim to have. I have the secret knowledge of Jesus. I have the real truth. You need to believe this. And so because they did that to, to make Jesus fit their point of view. Philosophy is still a stumbling block in the church today. There's people today that, that believe, they, they can't believe in miracles. They can't believe in, in different aspects that Jesus taught. They can't believe that, that God miraculously created the earth. They don't believe in the creation event of Genesis. It doesn't fit into their, their worldly view of evolution and, and science. And they say, oh, well, you know what? The evolution's true, therefore God creating the earth based on his word can't be. And they try to fit that together. That doesn't fit with the secular wisdom that they've adopted. So what happens is that when they try to merge secular wisdom into the scriptures, and they do this to understand creation or to understand the deity of Christ, 
So they try to answer things like, how could God be man and God? How can Jesus be both? How can he control all things? And they try to answer these questions, and they leave scripture out, and they look at what the world says. Historically, there have been philosophies merged with scripture um, to try to address complicated doctrines, and they've been doing this for a long time. Some have tried to merge the evolution and Jesus' narrative. Uh, they've, some people have tried to uh, do this thing where they say that God is not all-knowing. They, try, they say, how could God know all things? So they create a, an idea. It's called open theism. They say, well, well if God, God can't know all things because that would affect free will. And so they try to explain it. And they say God limits himself in his knowledge so people can, um, so people can have the free will. And that is not what scripture says. But they try to explain those things through their secular understanding through scripture. People try to use scripture to support their beliefs, but many times it's just secular wisdom being forced into the word of God. Another example is the attack of inerrancy of scripture. Uh, the inerrancy of scripture means that this word, the original manuscripts, is without error. That's what that means. So that means that everything I used to look in here, and if I see a verse and I interpret it and I, and I read it and everything, it's not going to contradict anything else in scripture. Because God is perfect. And if he's perfect, his word is going to be perfect. Why would God lie? He doesn't. So inerrancy of Scripture is talking about the authenticity and accuracy of this. Now, if you're not sure about that, well, let me give you a little information. Did you know that in 1948, we found a, a bunch of caves called, in Qumran called the Dead Sea Scrolls? We found all these scrolls in there. Did you know in 1953, we found 11 caves by that time? Did you know that just this year, we found a 12th cave and it had more scrolls in it? And did you know that one of those caves had a scroll of the book of Isaiah? And, and it dates back to 500 B.C. 500 B.C. Now, up to that time, we only had scrolls that, had, uh, that were about as new as about 100 to 200 A.D. Okay? And we had bits and pieces that go back to 200 B.C. But we found whole scrolls dating back 500 years before Christ. And guess what? When we compared them, they were 100% accurate. They're exact copies. God preserved his word over thousands of years. Did you know that there's over 20,000 pieces of scripture in the world? Actual copies and transcripts and things? 20,000. Actually, it's closer to 25 to 30,000 scripture. Did you know that did, when you think of like a Caesar, Augustus, back in, the, back in the, the Roman emperor, anybody really deny he existed? Probably not. You look at the history books, every scholar says, yeah, he existed. We have only about 500 pieces of evidence that show that he existed, and it's no, without a doubt, he, uh, he, he was alive at one point in, our, in the world. 500 pieces, and we have no doubt. 25,000 pieces, and people doubt this. So that's what the philosophies of the world do. They try to attack the inerrancy of Scripture. Scripture clearly teaches that it is inspired word of God and without error. David saw the law of the Lord was perfect in Psalm 19.7. Christ proclaimed the God's word is truth, John 17.17. 17. He said that not one jot or tittle would pass away until heaven and earth passed away, and that was Matthew 5.18. Now, jot and tittle is Hebrew, is talking about the Hebrew characters. You've seen Hebrew, there's all these little dots and little commas and all this stuff around there. That's what those are. The dots and the commas are dot, jot and tittles. It's the smallest word in the Hebrew language. 
Paul declared that God cannot tell a lie in Titus chapter 1, verse 2. Scripture clearly teaches its inerrancy, that it is without error in its original manuscripts, and therefore we can trust the copies in it. We can trust the Word of God. We can trust it 100%. Sadly, liberal churches have accepted this secular view of things all around. Secularism has entered the church and is entering even the Protestant evangelical church. We see it where people are taking Scripture and they're distorting it to please themselves instead of what God says. This often includes believing in miracle, or not believing in miracles such as the resurrection or virgin birth. There's churches in this community right now that are teaching that they they do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul said to be careful lest somebody take you captive by philosophies, basically secular wisdom. Be careful so you don't get captive. Think about that word captive. Sometimes these arguments can be very intriguing, but then we get captivated by it, and we start thinking about it more. See, people don't walk from the church in a leap or a jump. They walk slowly one step at a time. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. That's how people leave the church. Man's wisdom is not guided by Scripture. It's a stumbling block to truly being free in Christ and truly knowing him. We can see the conflict of man's wisdom with many truths in Scripture. For example, Scripture says, give and it shall be given to you. Many people are kept from giving and receiving the promises of God because secular wisdom doesn't make sense. So this is what secular wisdom says. Secular wisdom says, I'm struggling, and you say give. That makes no sense. That's what secular wisdom says. Wait a second here. I'm barely getting by, and you're saying that tithes and offerings should be a priority in our lives. How can that be? Or we're calling for any Armstrong offering to send to the mission board the North American Mission Board. And I'm struggling financially. How can I ask that? It's simple. Scripture says to be a cheerful giver. And he also says, don't worry about your life, Matthew 6, 25. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your eating, feed, and clothing because you know what? The birds in the air and the flowers in the field I take care of, and they're beautiful. I'm totally paraphrasing that. Look it up, though. It's beautiful. God takes care of us. And it's an act of faith to be able to live out this Christian life. It's a full-on act of faith. It is more prudent, according to the world, to hoard what I have. That's what's normal. Scripture says the way to be the greatest is to be the last and the servant of all. Mark chapter 9, verse 35. The world says to be on top. Be number one. Be your best. We, we, we're taught to be individuals right from the beginning. You know, be independent. We're independent people. We're an independent nation. That's what we're taught. And we're taught this independence. And to be number one. Sports. Com- very competitive. We have a competitive nation. And we're taught that from young. But you know what? Scripture says the greatest is the least and the servant. That is contrary to what God says. I mean, what the world says. Jesus, contrary to man's wisdom, came to earth as a poor servant and died on the cross, and therefore God has given him a name above all names. Many people are kept from the sacrificial life and this life of servanthood because it doesn't make sense to them. 
They think that they need to do all these other things in their life. They need to, to, to volunteer at all these different things. And they neglect their service to God. They neglect serving Christ first and foremost. Jesus said to seek Him. Seek God first. Scripture calls for men to be the spiritual leaders of the home and the church. But this comes completely the opposite of what the secular environment says. You know, you start saying, hey, you know what? Men are supposed to be the leaders of the home. Men are supposed to be the leaders of the church. And then what happens? We get a lot of people saying, oh, you're just, you're just you know, uh, what are some uh, words for that uh, when, when somebody, uh, chauvinistic, that's the word I was thinking of. You know, chauvinistic. You know, it's, it's, no, that's not the way it is. That's not the way it should be. You're putting women down. You're oppressing women. No, we're not. We all have different roles in our life. Men have specific roles. Women have specific roles. And because of the different roles and different personalities that we have, guess what? We come together in perfect completion. I love being married. I love my wife. She does things and, and is able to think of things that I can't. I think of things very different than her. And because of the compliment that she has in my life, we come together and we work together. That's what it's supposed to be. That's what God says. But according to the world, it's completely different, isn't it? Completely different than what the scriptures say. The scripture, I mean, the world says, no. You, look, you're just a, you know, I, I was called macho once. I'm just, you're just a macho guy. No. Scripture says I'm the leader in the home to teach my kids how to behave and also how to learn scripture. And I'm going to do that. If that makes me macho, then I'll take it. Scripture calls for men to be the spiritual leaders in the home. We're taught that that is archaic, ignorant, and chauvinistic. And people won't accept it. It doesn't make sense to them. And many people in the church are caught and enslaved by men's wisdom. We're caught up in this. We think that it's acceptable. And it comes from them, uh, it keeps them from accepting the revelation from God. So they sit there and say, well, you know what? I don't like that. I don't like this way that the, that the scripture's saying this. So I'm going to reject it. I'm going to push it aside. I'm going to call it names. I'm going to call it archaic. And I'm not going to accept the revelation of God. Paul says, beware of secular wisdom. And it will trap you and keep you from knowing God. Look at what Paul says about natural man in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It, this one will not be up on the screen, but listen here. The man without spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. You hear that? The man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned, or in other words, spiritually dead. To the world, Scripture is foolishness. To the world, the Bible is irrelevant. To the world, we are old-fashioned and archaic. Because they are without spirit and they are confined to secular wisdom, they cannot accept the things of God. There's a, a church, or there's a, there's a church up in, I think it's Minnesota, I think. But it's called Mars Hill Bible Church. And the founding pastor is named Rob Bell. And he's since left there, and he's uh, done some other things. And he is now Oprah's, one of her gurus, okay? One of the many thousands of gurus. Have you ever, did you realize that there is a church of Oprah? 
that she actually, on her shows, she would talk so much about spiritual things and, and religions that it became a church. It's actually the, considered by some to be the biggest church in the world is when she was on TV. I've heard, I've seen, uh, I've seen her say this on TV that, she does, that Jesus is not the only way to heaven. But yet she claims to be a Christian. But then her friend, this guy Rob Bell, he's talking about uh, gay marriages and how it's affecting the church. And he says, we're almost there. We're almost there where it's going to be acceptable. And when he's talking to Oprah about this, he quotes saying this. Okay, this is a direct quote. It will be up on the screen. It says, the church will continue to be even more irrelevant when it quotes letters from 2,000 years ago as their best offense. When you have in front of you flesh and blood people who are your neighbors, your sisters, your aunts and uncles and coworkers and neighbors, and they love each other and just want to go through life. Here's a well-known pastor who is saying that the scriptures are irrelevant. You know what? We need to put this aside so we can be relevant. Well, let me tell you something. I, I, re, I re posted this on Facebook, on our Facebook page for our church, and I made a comment on there. We will never, ever, ever walk away from Scripture, and the day this church does is the day I leave because Scripture is the Word of God, and it should be preached and taught and over secular human beliefs, 100%. And I will walk up to anybody at any time and show them Scripture, and I hope you will too. It is not irrelevant. Even when the church has the Spirit of God, we still have the possibility of becoming enslaved to secular wisdom. And for the reason, and for this reason, we must be careful. We must watch out. Satan is out there like a roaring lion looking to pounce. Any of you have cats and you do the little uh, red uh, laser pointer? They love to pounce on those things. Well, that's just a little cute little kitty cat. This is a roaring lion. So we have to understand that Jesus is sufficient for us. Everything we've done, everything he's done in our lives, everything he's done in preparation for us and writing scripture throughout history is sufficient for us. We don't need the philosophies of this world to know God or to be saved because Christ's sufficient for us. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 10. He says, and you have been given fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and authority. What does it Paul mean when he talks about this fullness of Christ and fullness in Christ? Essentially means that we have received all that we need. We have received everything. We have received all that we need to live through this life of faithful, love, uh, following Jesus' life. In the same way, just... When I have, well, actually, let me back up. If a glass is half full, or when, yeah, you ever get stuck on something and you just can't get your mind wrapped on it? I hate those. All right, let me go back. Let me try this again. If a glass is full to the brim, there's nothing else that can be added. In that same way, when we become born again, we received everything we need for salvation. Everything. And I wanted to think about that word for a minute. Everything. Not everything plus. Not everything, well, we need more scripture, or everything we need that new, you know, uh, Francis Chan Bible study, or everything, but we also need, you know, Tony Evans Bible study. No, everything we need is right here. Now, Bible studies are great. I do encourage using these because they're great tools to help you understand this. 
But do not replace this with the Bible study. Scripture and Jesus has everything we need to go through this life. There's no new excuse or experiences we need to be seeking. No new knowledge to find to be saved as the Gnostics taught. There's nothing else we need to do. When we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we are completed before him and we don't need nothing else. Peter said it in 2 Peter 1.3. He says this, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. See, God's divine power and his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness and knowledge of him. See, Christ said on the cross, it is finished. He said, tetelestai. It means completed. My work is done. Complete. Finished. Not, not well, I'm, I'm finished for now, today, and then there's still more work to do. No, he is done. That word tetelestai means completed. And Jesus said it on the cross. He said that the payment is paid in full. I am done. See, all we need for salvation was repentance and, and to accept Christ. And all we need after that is Christ. If we don't know our sufficiency in Christ, how can we seek the fullness in things? How can we have a full life under God if we don't feel that we are sufficient with Jesus? See, it may be through false doctrine, drinking, drugs, video games, friendships, datings, all these things that we might, we might find our fullness in things that are not necessarily sin, but they become sin when we try to make it our fullness. When we start taking things in the world and we apply them in our, our lives and that become, that we try to empty, or fill our emptiness inside with these secular things, the wisdoms, and also things, then guess what? We're, gonna, we're just going to make them idols. We're just going to be ending up worshiping idols. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in, in chapter 13, verse 5. It says, keep your life free from the money, love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. With that being said, how can we be free from the slavery of things, new experiences, or false teachings? We have to go back a couple, couple verses in the beginning, the first two verses that we read today in verse 6 and 7. Look at what it says. It says, Paul says, And you have therefore received Christ, as, as Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. How can we be sure that we don't walk down the road of false teaching? How do, we, how do we ensure that we check ourselves, that we're not making our, our toys and our things idols? How do we keep ourselves the way God is telling us uh, you know, to stay firm and if we're rooted in Christ and we're, we're, we're sufficient in Christ? We never quit on Jesus. We never quit on Jesus. He's not going to quit on us. Chapter 13, verse 5 in Hebrews just told us that. He will never quit on us. We should never quit on him. There's so many times in people in churches, they quit. You know what? I get saved. I get excited for a while, a couple of years. I, I do all these things. It's all new. I'll even volunteer for this co committee and that committee. And, and then you get to the point where I've been there and done that, and, and you quit. You stop trying. You stop trying to live a godly life, and you just go through the motions. In spiritual formation and spiritual disciplines, they call that the dark days. And it's normal. It's actually normal. We all go through that, but the problem is, is if you stay there. 
If you're there, you need to get out of that. Don't quit on Jesus. Get back into the Word of God. Get back into a Bible study. Get back in seeking Him. Ask Him to put that in your heart so you can get forward and move and grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. The only way to do that is to don't quit. It breaks my heart to see people quit on Jesus. It's like, uh, hey man, will you teach this class? No, I kind of can't. I need to probe a little. Why not? Oh, I just don't feel my heart. It's the right thing to do right now. Did you pray about it? Oh, yeah, I prayed about it. Kind of like that guy, the plastic Jesus. You know, they, they, they don't really pray about it. They just don't want to do it, and they give you all the church terminology. But the reality is you just quit on Jesus. Paul has just shared some in, important concerns with these folks in Colossus. And in verse 6, it says, therefore. So what he's done is he's... he's Told them in, in the beginning of the chapter one, says, you know what, I'm, uh, you have faith, love, and hope, and you guys are wonderful, I'm so proud of you. Then he goes into uh, Jesus and how, how who Jesus is and, and sets down some sufficiency in Christ and sets down some hardcore doctrine and clarifies some things. Then he goes into a gospel call, which I love. He tells who Jesus is and he says, oh, here's how to get to heaven. And now he goes, therefore, now that you've accepted Christ, now that you've had this, now you understand, therefore... As you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk with him. So we never quit on Jesus, and we need to walk with Jesus. He just highly praised them in verse, and then in verse 6, he basically says, therefore, I want you to remember something. Just as you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, you must continue. Don't quit. Another way is, another way is this. Now that you've just I've just commended you on how proud I am of your walk in Christ. With that same faith that you're willing to place in Him for the forgiveness of your sin, keep the faith. See, when we first get saved, a lot of us get this zeal. There was just, we we're just so excited because, you know what, a sinner like me just gets to go to heaven. And that passion is there. And sometimes we lose that. What he's saying is go back to that. Figure out, you know what, who Jesus is? Go back to that day. Never forget what he did for you and always be passionate and always follow him and continue. Don't stop now. Don't quit on Jesus. The next thing he says in verse 7, he says, grow your roots deep in him, which is the whole purpose of this series. Grow your roots deep in him. And Paul says in verse 7, he says that you will need to grow deep and, and make sure that you keep on keeping on. In verse 7, he says this, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. He tells them to make sure this root system of the spiritual life is being fed in Jesus and sink your roots deep. And how do you do that? How do you sink your roots deep? One is when you hear solid preaching about the word of God, you take notes. And you don't just toss those notes into a pile. You keep them in your Bible and you review them from time to time. Especially as we go through the series. As I bring up yesterday, last week's message or the week before that, you flip through your notes and you quickly glance through and go, oh yeah, I remember what he said. You take notes. When you go to, you go to as many Bible studies as you can go to. I know we all work, we have day jobs and all these different things, but go to as many as you can. Absorb this stuff. Make sure that you're praying. There's so many things that we can be doing to, root, to, to water our spirit, to allow God to grow us. But it starts with his word. 
And once that begins to take place, once you dig in the Word, you'll be able to build your life on Him. But before that can really happen, make sure that the foundation is strong. Make sure the roots are strong. I read an article when I was looking for some illustrations and stuff. I, I read an article about these, these uh, huge trees in this big storms in the Midwest. These huge trees that were just monstrous, and all of them were tipped over, or a bunch of them were tipped over for this big storm. And the, but then there was a, a few of them that were standing up, just, just a handful. And when they analyzed it, they found that the ones that were standing up had really deep roots, like exceptionally deep. And they stood firm during the storms. The ones that tipped over, the roots were shallow. So that same, that same principle comes into our faith. And that might be what Paul is talking about here, or what, what he's in thinking about. But when we have deep roots and we understand the word of God and we have this relationship with him so deep and so strong that when some storm comes by, guess what happens? We stand firm. We're on solid ground. We don't get tossed around in the wind. But on the opposite is true. If we don't have a solid relationship with him and some tragedy happens or something happens in our life, guess what happens? We walk away from church or we don't rely on God or all these different uh, responses happen. We need to dig deep roots or have deep roots in our relationship with God so then we can build up. There are a lot of professing Christians who have little or no desire to grow and mature spiritually. And my heart is so broken for that. They have, they, they've learned the word of God. You talk to them about things and they know stories. But their relationship with God is so, they just have no desire to grow. My prayer as a pastor, as a shepherd of this church, my desire is to see every single person in this church grow in the grace of knowledge. I mean, just grow and be vibrant and love the Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul. And that's my passion. And that's my desire. And I want to share that gospel with other people. There are many Jesus lovers who have a deep desire to be spiritually mature but are discouraged and lost. There's people in here that, that don't care about growing and then there's people in here that, that you know, they have the desire but they're, just, they're caught up in the, the secular world and what they have to do. They're stuck in it. But you know, my answer to that is get back to Jesus. I've talked to some of you and you have shared your desire to see maturity in your life. And I want you to know something. If that's you today, if you have that desire, but you don't know what the next step is, don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. Don't quit on Jesus. You will grow. You, your spiritual roots will grow deep as long as you're being fed by the word of God and you continue to take it serious. Paul concludes there in verse 7 that if these events happen in your life, you will overflow with thankfulness. I think we can see right here why, why there are so many thankless Christians today. There's nothing to really be thankful for when our lives are full of empty deceit brought on by the philosophy of this world, as Paul calls it in verse 8. I think that's important enough to read again. There's nothing really to be thankful for when our lives are so full of empty deceit brought on by the philosophies of this world, as Paul calls it in verse 8. So my question for you this morning, what about your life? What about your life this morning? Are you walking with Christ? Is, are, do you have a real deep relationship with Jesus? Are you experiencing his fullness and, and being filled with his love? 
Is Christ fulfilling your emptiness? If you've received Christ, are your roots, are you being rooted and built up in him? These are questions that only you can answer. And it's between you and God. Are you a growing Christian? Are you growing in grace and knowledge of him? Is it evidence that you walk in the spirit, walk in a newness of life? Are you the same you were yesterday and the day before and the week before and the month before and the year before? Or has God changed you? Is it evident that the spirit of God is walking in you? Are you willing to say, are you willing to say, I want to be able to live the kind of life that pleases God? If that's you today, surrender to him. Don't quit on him. Come back to him. Get involved in a Bible study. Right now I'm teaching a, a Discipleship 201. I'm going to be starting a new members class probably in a little while, and I'm finishing up 201, and we'll be doing it again. For anybody that wants to learn how to study scripture, how to pray, how to, how to journal, what it means to grow. I mean, we're not, we're not sugarcoating this. We're getting deep in a real study. If you really want to grow, come to that class, sign up for it. Don't quit on him. He hasn't quit on you. Don't quit on him. And if you're, if you're not following Jesus, what is your life being filled with? Think about that as we pray. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for Paul and his clear, clear conviction about the, the philosophies of this world. Father God, I ask you to bless each and every one of us here today, and we ask you to convict us and, and work in our lives, Lord, and don't let us quit on you. Father God, if anybody here is quitting on you, convict their heart, bring them back to you, Lord. We ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that in their life. And help them have the motivation, encourage them to come back to you. Father God, we love you so much. And my prayer is that each person in this room grows and in, in to be a mature follower of you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.